Next on the Well of Sound. Okay, right now, friends, it is my great pleasure to introduce one of the most talented people in our business, and it's a real treat to have him with us on the Muppet Show, Mr. Paul Williams. Walking around some kind of lonely clown. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. But Lord, did you really need a more than? been held down here to working out I let them in all the good guys and the bad guys that I have been all the devils that disturbed me and the angels that defeated them somehow I, I, I kind of have a theory that um, people tend to gravitate towards the things that were huge right before they were born to sort of get a sense of where they came from, mm-hmm. the cultural phenomenon. And Paul Williams was a cultural phenomenon of the 70s. I remember, you know, knowing, being very much aware that he had written the songs for the Muppet movie, mm-hmm. but I'd never really gone beyond that. Right. And I mean, I kind of knew. You knew he, his name. I knew his name. Okay. And I knew he was the funny-looking guy with the long blonde hair yeah. who looked st- like an overgrown l- child or something. Right. I mean, how do we even describe how he looks? Well, I mean, I, I guess we start with how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's let's begin at the beginning. Um, so he is small for his age, um, and his parents give him growth hormones because they're worried he's not growing fast enough. And what that does is it creates an onset of puberty and yet he stays the same size and, and suddenly he has this tremendous libido and a deep voice and he looks like Dennis the menace. Yeah. I mean, he he really looks, he looks like about, 12 yeah and he, he says you know all of a sudden i wanted to peer down aunt edna's dress but i had no <laughs> idea what was going on and, and it didn't really work it, it arrested his growth right rather than triggered it and eventually he grows a little bit more it sounds like a tough childhood his, his father was an alcoholic um sort of a brilliant guy an engineer uh, accomplished engineer um but dies when he's about 13. And then he's sent to live with his aunt because his mom uh, couldn't really afford both uh, he and his younger brother. I think his older brother was, was out of the house. And so he felt like at that age that he had kind of lost two parents. Mm. So there's a, there's a, a there, seed there of loneliness and, and heartbreak on top of him being a complete... Uh, outsider just by his looks i mean as he will say often um gym class was a nightmare i moved around all the time i was generally the the shortest kid and also the new kid you know in, in town and i discovered that i never got beat up during the winter time and it was because i always had a runny nose you know <laughs> really you know people would go oh god 
touch up with a Winchester, you know? Uh, and I'd say, yeah, mess with me, I'll be out of jail for you out of the hospital. I'd bounce around and everything, and I realized, you know, they're afraid of me because I'm disgusting. The only sort of, you know, I guess the silver lining is that he could be cast as a child and not have to follow all the child act. He wanted to be an actor. Yes. And he could, at least that's what how they marketed it, is that he could, he didn't have to have, you know, uh, he could work long hours because he was 18, but he could play like a... 11 year old right and he's also driven uh by this um sort of insatiable appetite uh to be special yeah he says uh, that different was was his his worst nightmare huh. and to be special was a dream come true i honestly came to this town to be an actor i truly believed that i you know that i was like the montgomery clift of the 60s and 70s i i find that you know just because you feel like him you don't have to look like him you know? so he gets cast in a movie called the loved one as a kid and then he gets cast in a uh marlon brando robert redford movie called the chase he's gonna need a good lawyer maybe he can hire my daddy I remember seeing it back in the and day. Is it Duvall or Robert Redford who sort of hears Duvall? Him sing, du, Robert Duvall hears him singing on set and says, "Keep playing that." He was just making up some stuff. But really, was not a musician. He he picked up a guitar and just sort of strummed it. But he has a knack for words. He's playful with words. Um, he loves a good rhyme. He yes. loves a good pun. He's, it's a delight for him. Everything about this guy is actually delightful. That sort of needs to be said. If you w watch any interviews with him. And I've always thought of myself as kind of an erotic teddy bear. You know, <laughs> I, I don't feel that I pose a real threat, you know, and I, you know. You know, cuddliness is my, you know, that's my gig. There was a documentary made about him a few years ago called Paul Williams Still Alive because someone like us who is maybe a little bit older, Stephen Kessler, I think is his name, yeah. he had this experience of this guy was everywhere and then he was nowhere. Right. And did he, was it all a fever dream? Right. Did I dream Paul Williams? Because everything that Paul Williams is involved with, as we will talk about in the 70s, seems like it shouldn't exist. His very presence as a celebrity and um, a musician and, and a, 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 a skillful comedian, it shouldn't exist. I mean, there wasn't like a space. You know what we really need in Hollywood? We're, we're looking for one of these guys. Is a tiny guy with a little Lord Fauntleroy haircut and, and sunglasses on and everywhere he goes. Yeah, and, and a quick incredible wit because i saw you one night come out and lead an orchestra of contemporary musicians that would stagger anybody so now, weren't you afraid of well, that scared me it frightened me i stood there and i blanched and you know i did you ever blanch so he's kicking around la and and kind of failing um as an actor he auditions to be a monkey he doesn't get it i didn't know that yep um but he gets a gig as an improvisational actor on the Mort Saul show mm -hmm. for four episodes where he meets Biff Rose. Do you know anything about no, this guy? No, I don't. I don't. He is a total weirdo. But his early albums are pretty magical. And uh, he writes, he co-writes a song with Paul Williams called uh, Fill Your Heart. Fill your heart. Fill your heart with love today. Don't play the game of time. Things that happened in the past Just happened in your mind Only in your mind Forget your mind and you'll be free 
know that song. An acquired taste, but I know that song. From? Only from Hunky Dory. David Bowie recorded that song. Pretty oh. much uh, faithfully. Yeah, uh, you know, but it, I've never even had the inclin- remotest inclination that that song was not written by David Bowie. Right. That's how much it fits in Hunky Dory in my mind. But so Rick Wakeman, I guess, worked on Hunky Dory um, and says that Bowie was, as he does, uh, was obsessed with Biff Rose. And that sort of shaped Hunky Dory a little bit. Really? Yes. Because there's a lot of that vaudeville piano type ticky tack thing right. going on on Hunky Dory. Right. Um, um, and and is, uh, is kind of Paul Williams style. And uh, so Biff Rose introduces Paul Williams to Chuck K at A&M. And Chuck K, I guess, is in charge, um, sees sort of the music and lyrics styling that Biff and Paul have, um, and he pairs uh, Paul with Roger Nichols. Yeah, as the lyrics guy. As the lyrics guy. As a lyrics man, because he's just got away with a lyric. And that's when they start writing together. Now, somewhere in the middle of this, the holy mackerel happens. Yes. And from what I could Nichols read... Nichols wasn't really involved in that. No. And what I could tell is that, again, um, Chuck Kay at, at A&M uh, had enough faith in Paul um, as... I mean, it, it will become clear over and over again that people love just hanging out with Paul Williams. Yeah, there's constantly, he's like, he was a really good guy to have around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like he was fun. Yeah. He sounds like he was fun. And he's hilarious, yeah. as we will see over and over again. But, um, yeah, so A&M uh, basically creates a band around Paul Williams. It's not really a band. It's more of like a, a, a studio crew. Mm-hmm. His and brother's in it. Yeah. Uh, mentor. mentor. Mentor what Williams. What a name. Um, and... Uh, and it's called the Holy Mackerel. And I think I think the drummer from Buffalo Springfield is in it. It's a bunch uh, well, of well. Eventually, at first it's Don Murray from the Turtles and Bob Harvey from Jefferson Airplane. Good Lord. Those guys get rotated out and and replaced by Jerry Sheff. Yeah. From Elvis's back. Yeah. Band. And as you said, Dewey Martin from Buffalo Springfield. And they record this record, which you can now get. It's finally been reissued. And there's some good stuff on there. It's also weird as pos- as all get out. I mean, what do you want to listen to? Well, let's 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 play the song. Um, let's play the song uh, "Bitter Honey." I should have known you would treat me this way. I should have known. I should have stayed alone If I just used my head I'd have sent you away If only somehow It's a great song, and there's all sorts of the arrangements are incredible. There's, of course, you know, there's another song on here called the Somewhere in Arizona 4:30 a.m. restaurant song. Pop stuff like this from the late '60s that's sort of psychedelic influenced. It's it's like um, 
it's in that monkey's world a little bit. Mm-hmm. I tend to tap out pretty early. Yeah. Um, I, I understand the sweetness and I, I can, I, I like it for a little bit. A little goes a long way. We call with, it sunshine with pop. <laughs> sunshine. Does pop. it really have a name? Sunshine. Oh pop? yeah. It's, it's definitely a genre. And, um, the, so, the peppermint trolley, uh, brigade or whatever they're yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, that that's the, the association. Stuff. Um but with this I, I I'm I'm in for the whole song, a song after song. I mm. like it. And here's the thing with Paul Williams' voice. You <laughs> you either totally are drawn to it or you're turned off by it, I guess. Some people are, but it's so intimate, it's so wounded, it's so available. Um, it's all wrong again, as we will see over and over again, it just shouldn't work. It just shouldn't work. That's exactly, that's the kind of the reigning, uh, I don't know, picture or metaphor for me that, that his, his voice, uh, reading and writing in the all music guide, the guy, one of the guys who was writing about it called it a, um, a weak bleating non-instrument. One of the guys, like, Charles Donovan reviews every album and I pulled and quotes like, about what he says about Paul Williams. This guy voice. I don't like Paul to despise this man, <laughs> Charles Donovan. Paul. I see you, Charles Donovan. <laughs> Williams' voice still a weak, bleating non-instrument. And I, you know, for a while that did color. I, I, I take that site as or that book as gospel, and so it colored my sense of like wanting to seek out these albums. But I completely disagree with him now. Do performers, uh, in general, pay any attention to what uh, critics have to say? I try to keep a single-edged razor right close to the bed, you know. <laughs> uh, but it does severe emotional damage, you know, when somebody says uh, that Paul Williams is a real, you know, at best, uh, Carol Lindley look-alike who's, you know, <laughs> boring to be around. And uh, You do look like her, though. Have you ever seen us together at the same time? <laughs> yeah. I love Paul Williams' voice because he's got so much personality. Oh. It just is oozing through. And he and Nichols then, they create a full record of just he and Nichols. The Holy Mackerel has different people singing on it. Yeah. It's not just Williams writing. Yep. Uh, and they create what a lot and of people disbanded uh, b- before the album even comes out. It's yeah, I mean, and they didn't really know what to do with it. But someday, man, then comes out in '70. And just to rewind for a second, before someday, man, the album comes out. The Monkees cover someday, man, in '69, and also, fill your heart is the B side on Tiptoe Through the Tulips by uh, Tiny Tim they in were back 69. To Tiny Tim. And oh, we forgot to mention that because of that, that's how Williams gets to know Richard Perry, who is the guy behind Fanny. <laughs> what? <laughs> completely put together Fanny. Richard Perry produces The Holy Mackerel, which which Williams says is I the, did not his very first connection. sort of big recording experience. So this guy, Richard Perry, he does Tiny Tim, he does The Holy Mackerel, and then he gets going on Fanny. Which oh we've just my God! Gone into. Meanwhile, the circle is getting tighter and tighter on the Tonight Show. Biff Rose is writing for the Tonight Show, and I think um, appears on it um, in probably around seventy. Tiny Tim is is a staple of the Tonight Show. Um, so yeah, um, and then as you said, someday man, which. Uh, <laughs> Charles Donovan, you remember him from a minute ago? Yes, Charles Donovan. He writes, his voice is thin, inarticulate, and markedly stunted of range. It takes considerable getting used to. What a jerk. Okay, here's so many people off Someday Man. Today the streets were filled with strangers Call me names and choose inside Never thinking 
It's great. Someday, man, I love that song. That was one of my uh, my ears perking up about Paul Williams wanting to go deeper than the Muppets was hearing the Monkees version. I love the Monkees. Oh, really? Yeah. Someday, man. Oh, cool. yeah. It was sort of an attempt to give Davy, yeah, a big song right. that, that sounded a little like Daydream Believer, but but yeah. wasn't. And it uh, it tanked. But the B side, <laughs> the B side for Someday Man was "Listen to the Band," which is also one of my all time favorite uh, Monkey songs. That was a Nesmith one, and I think it did better than Someday Man, unfortunately for Williams. But yeah, so the sec his second straight project tanks, from what I can tell. Meanwhile, Nichols and Williams are commissioned. Um, by an ad agency mm. uh, to write a jingle for Crocker National Bank. And the bank wanted to uh, have something that appealed to young couples to sort of start off their lives together after getting married. Um, and so what was that What was that jingle called? We've only just begun to live. <laughs> I can't sing the rest. <laughs> But Richard Carpenter hears this jingle on a bank commercial yep. and immediately asks, is there a full song of this? And they're, they've yet to launch their career, really. Maybe there's one, Ticket to Ride is out or something like that. I guess Richard Carpenter was somehow associated with A&M, so he knew that those two uh, wrote mm -hmm. the song. And he goes to them and asks for the full song, basically. Mm -hmm. So they go back to the drawing board and flesh it out. Um, and yeah, the Carpenters record it. Incidentally, uh, the 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 commercial is pulled because Crocker National Bank ends up getting uh, a bunch of young people without collateral, and they decide that this was a bad idea. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Meanwhile, Nichols and Williams have also written a song called Out in the Country. Paul Williams ends up going to France. I don't know why. Um, and he's kind of kicking around there. And uh, when he comes back, uh, The Carpenters, We've Only Just Begun, and uh, Three Dog Night, who, who took on Out in the Country, both have hits in the top, like, five. And suddenly, Paul Williams is a thing. Is a thing. Yeah. And, you know, Three Dog Night was started by, was at least co-started by Brian Wilson. The Beach Boys in, I think, 1968. That's right. He was he sort of oversaw it. Their very first single is Darlin' is a Beach Boys song. Right. Um, he sort of bows out because of his mental, you know, yep. uh, problems. Because this is late 70s. This is, no, this yeah, late 1970. And But Three Dog Night, come to find out, is that they ha end up having three big hits with Paul Williams songs and, and if you inter if you read the interviews with like Chuck Negron they're basically saying like each time they didn't really want to record them they wanted to record their own stuff I happen to love Three Dog Night I love almost everything they recorded but um they're like, oh gosh, I guess we have to do this Paul Williams song. And each time they just knock it out of the park, the first one being out in the country. Should we hear that one? Out 
So you've got this like bevy of hits that are coming, and then they they they, they, they once they start, they don't really stop, you know. One and and one of the things I I didn't really realize until I'd I'd gonna de- done this deeper dive, Lex, is that. Nichols is the one writing these melodies. Yeah. And Bahal is really the lyrics guy. He yep. evolves into someone who is writing words and music. Right. And in fact, I think the collaborations he has with, he, he's constantly collaborating with folks because he must be a blast to hang out with. But he's also, he likes to collaborate. And uh, I don't know what, what the I, the exact sort of sharing of duties was for other people. But with Nichols, he very much gives Nichols credit for you know, a lot of these hits. Oh, for sure. In fact, he says that Someday Man is, is really more of a Nichols record than a Paul Williams record. Yeah. Um, then in 71, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Williams records Old Fashioned Love Song, yeah. um, which he says is more of him. Um, but 71 is his first uh, appearance on The Tonight Show when he sings Out in the Country. Oh, is that a fact? I'll tell you something. You might, you might as well forget it. I don't go all the way on the first joke. And he gets pulled over to the couch and sits with Johnny for the first time, and he makes Johnny laugh. Yeah. And from there, 48 appearances. He's such a natural. Ugh. And, I mean, come to find out, when he when you see him and still alive and he's, uh, you know, 30 years later watching these clips, he's like, oh, I, you know, starting from like 1975 onward, he's like, right. I don't remember a thing that was going on. I, I was He was totally coked out of his mind. But in the early days, at least, and, and all of the time, in fact, he's just so darn pleasant. <laughs> and he, he just got a little bit of a screw loose. You know, he's always, yeah. he, he's always constantly, um, I don't know, he's a little, there's a little bit of a perversity. Yeah. He likes to well, he's always playing to the joke, too. <laughs> I mean, he, 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 can't resist. he acknowledges that he's the little guy yep. and, uh, and goes for it. But yeah, 71, old-fashioned love song. But that's I, just just him. That, that's actual song, which becomes a monster hit for Three Dog Night. That's right. Just an old fa- he said he wrote it in like, you know, 20 minutes. It's... So good. In fact, we should listen to it. Just an old-fashioned love song playing on the radio And wrapped around the music is the sound of someone promising they'll never go You'll swear you've heard it before as it slowly rambles on and on no need in bringing them back Cause they've never really gone Just an old-fashioned love song Coming down in three-part harmony Just an old-fashioned love song One I'm sure I mean, that to me is the most Paul Williams song of all Paul Williams songs because it is both of his styles. The sadness. One is the sadness and, and the profound sadness. And I would have to say his voice there is the most beautiful it, it ever is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the ragtime piano upbeat fun party song. I mean, in the, in the Muppet Show version, when he's like at his heaviest, by the way, he looks like a uh-huh. Muppet himself yeah, at, yeah. This, at this point. He, um, and he jokes about it, but uh, during the chorus, that ex- sort of explosive chorus, you know, he gets completely overwhelmed by right. all these Muppets each time. And so every time I hear the song, inclu- including the Three Dog Night version, every time I've ever heard the song, I have in my mind him drowning on a sea of these Muppets that are just go crazy. And they all look like him too, don't they? Aren't they <laughs> like little Paul do. Williams? That album 
is truly awesome. Yeah, I mean, the song Waking Up Alone, I mean, spoiler alert here. It's he it's my one of my favorites. It's one of my top 5, but mm-hmm. he also he rare he re-records it later on in like a bouncier version trying to score a single with it. That doesn't quite work as well, but Waking Up Alone is just a perfect song. I took my chances on a one way to get home. Growing tired of strangers and the kind of life I'd known Thought the time for settling down had come at last Guess I hope to find a future in my past Walk with me, darling, where the wheat fields used to be I will tell you stories of my times across the sea You're the legendary girl I left behind Can't begin to count the times you crossed my mind And all your children were the youngest looks just like you She's a picture of a mother It's so Paul Williams, but that affect that he has. He doesn't talk like that, no. but he, he puts this voice on for singing. A little and, bit of a Bogarty thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, maybe that's what, yeah, that's what it is. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. How's that you playing? Oh, just a little something on my own. Stop it, you know what I want to hear. No, I don't. You played it for her, you play it for me. Well, I don't think I can remember. If she can stand it, I can. Play it. Let me be the one you run to. Let me be the one you come to when you need someone to turn to. Let me be the I think the Carpenters have that have a version of that too, which makes a big splash. It does really well. Also, "Rainy Days and Mondays" is a hit for the Carpenters by this point, which is a fantastic song. You know, by the way, you know that the the producer on most of Paul's early records, because he has this run of sort of a record every year for the first few years of the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, his producer is named Michael Jackson. Wait, what? Michael James Jackson. Uh. <laughs> But his name is Mike. He keeps thanking Michael Jackson. I was like, wait, are they close? How did, that's a little early from MJ. He's like uh, 11. Guys, Michael Jackson's going to be here later. Uh, <laughs> well, he's backed by um, some pretty amazing s- studio m- musicians at this point. Um, Tom Scott is part of the studio band in uh, Old Fashioned Love Song, uh, who's a core member of the Blues Brothers band um, and is uh, his LA Express albums are I, I love him. He's he's central to Court and Spark by uh, Joni Mitchell. Um, it's it's sort of an L.A. jazz sound. But I gotta I just got to mention Charles Donovan's review. <laughs> what does he have to say? <laughs> of old-fashioned love song. Enlighten us. While it's not really right to assess him in singer-songwriterly terms, 
He never played piano, guitar, or indeed any instrument, and is more accurately termed an easy-listening tunesmith. Just an old-fashioned love song is a worthy addition to the genre. So... Charles Donovan might be coming around. Begrudging. Begrudgingly. So then uh, 1972 sees uh, Life Goes On, which Charles Donovan calls <laughs> too much of it, is unutterably bland. Oh my goodness, uh, that's just wrong. It has Out in the Country on it. It has I Won't Last a Day Without You. Um, and it has Amazing. Rose. Beautiful song. You know Rose. who arranges the strings on Rose? My dear, dear Jimmy Webb. My <laughs> dear, the, dear Jimmy. And and it's got that song "Where Do I Go From Here," which is a uh, which Elvis does. That's right. And uh, in fact, a bunch of people do that song. Um, again, produced by Michael James Jackson. <laughs> Can we hear Rose? Yeah. Love's working out for me. There's someone. Watching out for me And I found something more To believe in When I found a rose Loneliness hear those Jimmy West I mean, strings right there. I was going to say, Jimmy didn't, didn't uh, he was not in the background there. Um, backing vocals, uh, his brother, mentor, uh, a woman named Linda Ronstadt, Is and a, a guy named Jackson Brown. Are you kidding? I nope. didn't know that. I mean, he's he's clearly at the heart of this scene, and um, you know, that, that, that we haven't mentioned that his brother... Uh, in 73, by the way. In 73, pens the song... Tripped away. Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I wanna get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. That's mentor. Dobie Gray. Dobie Gray, drift away, is Mentor Williams, Paul's older brother. I was blown away. I had no idea. And who names our kid Mentor, by the way? But that's that's, that's um, another. By the way, their yeah. other brother, the youngest brother, is a NASA scientist. Huh. Highly accomplished. Clearly. Um, this family did all right in the in the talent genes. There's something happening in there. And in fact, I mean, this leads us sort of into 1974 with Here Comes Inspiration. Oh, hold on. 1973, he has an appearance on The Tonight oh. Show. He was cast in a movie. It was a sequel. Not one of the best sequels, but still okay. Known as the worst as, far as, as from what I've heard. <gasps> Battle for the Planet of the Apes. We want guns now. The final chapter in the incredible ape saga. This is the hell my forefathers used to speak about. This background radiation alone will give us 300 rentgens an hour. Paul Williams is in it as an ape. Yep. Um, he's running late uh, one day uh, on, on set after a long day of, of shooting, and he's supposed to show up on The Tonight Show. He decides to just go in his ape 
makeup. He calls ahead. Uh, he tells Doc Severinsen to prep for Here's That Rainy Day, which is one of Johnny's favorite songs, um, and to have a cigarette in the ashtray ready and a drink. And he shows up and sings Here's That Rainy Day as an ape. As an ape. And it's one of the most memorable Tonight Show uh, clips of all time. You know, uh, I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> there is oh. another, if, if you want to see a great Tonight Show clip, it's one of the great drunken appearances by a cast of characters. Richard Harris and his wife. Arthur Park. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting his wife's name. I I apologize, and I'm I'm not going to look it up. And uh, Ed's on there, always tanked, of course. Paul's on there, um, lit, I'm sure. And uh, George Papard of the A Team, Hannibal. Really. Yep, is clearly drunk. Paul Williams has a great one-liner that he throws in, gets a laugh from Johnny, and Papard kind of does a slurry uh, jab at Paul Williams. And it escalates to the point that Papard calls Paul Williams a midget. Williams is actually fired up, normally cool and sedate with a one-liner, even though he's drunk. Johnny's lost his show. Yes, he has. It doesn't get to fisticuffs, but enough that Johnny bails. He just leaves the set. He has like a button, and the set in the back of the set goes up, and he he takes off. You know, for the sake of the bit, but clearly he's like, I'm out of here. He comes around to the cameraman's side um, and is just wants to be part of the audience as Richard Harris suddenly takes the Johnny seat and starts asking his wife prepped questions off of a card. <laughs> it's insanity and it's an utter joy to watch. Mm. And it's just, you know, of a bygone era, obviously. Uh, I was thinking about um, in interviews, Williams, he's had the pleasure of being part of a number of like subcultures and, uh, he talks about the different fans of people of uh, com- things that he's been a part of, and he says that Muppets fans are all very sweet, and they're they're really interested in sort of passing things on to their children. He says that uh, ape fans of the original Planet of the Apes, you know, what is a quadrilogy or uh, it's five movies. No, I think. at this point, I mean, and it's a series uh, he said that they are really their own breed, and they're incredibly intense and strong feeling. <laughs> he also, in the '90s, he voiced a Penguin on Batman the Animated Series, and he says the animated animation fans are probably the most um, gregarious, outspoken, uh, won't take no for an answer of all fans. And really, then, of course, there's the the next thing we're coming to very quickly. Yeah. which is Phantom of the Paradise. He yep. says they're just uh, absolutely lovely uh, Canadians <laughs> and, and Frenchmen. <laughs> so 74 is like the beginning of the hot streak. Mm, and yes. it also marks, um, I, I think, uh, based on, on our text exchanges, your one of your favorite albums. Oh, my goodness. I think here comes inspiration. It's got like whoever thought up the cover is a very strange cover. It's like bright red with a really shot of him looking um, very androgynous as he he says it was a very androgynous stage for him. Um, And this is when he starts. He really gets involved with Kenny Asher, with whom he wrote all the Muppet songs. Yep. 
And I mean, the first song on here is called Nilsson Sings Newman. And Harry Nilsson had recorded a whole record of Randy Newman songs. And so he decided. In 70, to, four years before. And so he decides to write a song about Nilsson singing Newman. And he usually doesn't do that. You know, when you, when you talk to Paul Williams about his music, he, he refers to his great hits all as codependent co anthems. Uh -huh. Like, let me be the one. I won't last a day without you. You and me against the world. Um, it, rainy days and Mondays. Uh, he says they're all, it's sort of sweet, soul, uh, soulful kind of music. But this, this record's got You Know Me, which I think is fantastic. It has his version of Rainy Days and Mondays, which is a classic. It's got um, That's What Friends Are For, not the Dionne Warwick, yep. Burt Bacharach song. This is his song about a lonely sailor. Uh, who longs for the sound of his own front door. <laughs> and it's a very like upbeat, incredible tune. Um, Nilsson Sings Newman also has one of my favorite uh, Paul Williams lyrics of all time, which is, well, you say Van Heusen is a shirt worth choosing, but you're still undecided about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we see here That's What Friends Are For? Yes. Friends are like music. Sometimes they're sad Sometimes they're lonely And need to be told that they're loved Everyone needs to be loved Friends are like good wine And I've had the best Don't always show it But no Seventy-four has another record, which we will get to before we get to the film that he makes in 1974. Holy moly. Um, also, Helen Reddy has a hit with You and Me Against the World a in huge 74. Hit, like a monster. Monster. Uh, it's got his version of The Family of Man, which is uh, another uh, enormous uh, song I absolutely just love, love, love. Uh, it's Covered a, by um, uh, Three Dog Night. Three Dog Night. And I'm going to play that in a second. But we, you have a, on there, you have. Um, she sings for free. I think it's a really good song. It's yep. about a backup singer who also mm -hmm. sings. It's a story church. song. If there ever was a story song, it's really sweet. And that's his actual song, "Loneliness." You know, it takes oh. a lot of guts to name a song "Loneliness." Yeah, it does. But uh, this one um, delivers. But uh, we, I want to hear. We've got to hear the "Family of Man." Has got one of my favorite intros of all time, the Three Dog Night version. <laughs> So good, and all three of the lead singers—they all trade verses on that song. 
It's just got this energy. It's this utopian sort of mid-70s thing. <laughs> it's a silly song. I have no idea what on earth it's talking about, but I think it's a great song. This album also has Margarita, and I promise... Uh, margarita i promise this is the last time i'm gonna do this but charles donovan says <laughs> on margarita whose dreadful pseudo spanish arrangement defies belief williams turns in his most self-indulgent whining vocal performance ever man charles we're done with charles charles we're done Take a long walk <laughs> off a short, <laughs> short pier. Um, okay. okay, so 1974 is also the year of what, Lex? Phantom of the Paradise, which, okay. I Phantom of the Paradise is directed by Brian De Palma and is one of the most oddball films in existence, if you ask me. It's also one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I saw it, I can remember it clearly, an afternoon in college it was on hbo or showtime i watched this movie unfold before my eyes and i was totally blown away swan he has no other name his past is a mystery but his work is already a legend he wrote and produced his first gold record at 14. in the years since then he has won so many others that he once tried to deposit them in Fort Knox. He brought the blues to Britain. He brought Liverpool to America. He brought folk and rock together. His band, the Juicy Fruits, single-handedly gave birth to the nostalgia wave of the 70s. Now he is looking for the new sound of the spheres to inaugurate his own Xanadu, his own Disneyland. Paradise, the ultimate rock palace. This film is the story of that search, of that sound, of the man who made it, the girl who sang it, and the monster who stole it. So it's this mishmash of Faust, Dorian Gray, Phantom of the Opera, sort of all any any sort of possession sell your soul story is all, all of it's thrown into the mix and yet it's about the recording industry it's about a uh, uh a, a songwriter who's wronged um and then decides to haunt uh the the main venue uh run by this sort of phil specter-esque uh producer uh who turns out to be the devil himself and uh it, it, it's just marvelous to watch the performances are are a joy and on top of everything which is what happened to me that afternoon um the music is wonderful and at that point i was i don't know 19 or 20 i had totally forgotten about paul williams and then yeah. I, there i see him as the villain in this movie and it's i was just mesmerized he plays the villain and he writes both the music and the lyrics to this entire movie movie musical sort of thing he doesn't collaborate with anyone right and uh, he has to write in a bunch of different styles and he nails each one i mean just just to a t there's a band called the juicy fruits that are kind of like the beach boys yeah and they have a song called upholstery and they have a song called goodbye eddie goodbye which is sort of a greaser anthem and then there's sort of singer songwriter stuff jessica harper who goes on to be in suspiria and um suspira and uh, a couple of woody stardust Allen movies. memories she's amazing in it 
Bill Finley's in it. Um, I found out, by the way, that Linda Ronstadt was supposed to play Phoenix, the female lead, but she actually lost the role to Jessica Harper. Uh, here's another fun fact about Phantom of the Paradise. Um, the production designer uh, was Jack Fisk, mm-hmm. who does a lot of Malick films, and his wife is oh. Sissy Spacek, who also does costumes on uh, Phantom of the Paradise. It's uh, a fantastic film. I remember as I watched a documentary the other day about De Palma. Said, what is it actually uh, about? And he says, well, it's about the, the, the system will basically destroy anything good. And if the system does anything good, it's by mistake. I mean, when was economics ever good for art? And it's about the collision of economics and art. And Williams plays the Phil Spector type. He was originally called Spector. They have to rename him Swan, at which point they name, they, they name his company Swan Song. But Led Zeppelin then sues because that's their name, so they have to change the film frame by frame. There's also, there is a performance of a band of the undead in this that look exactly like Kiss, but it was filmed like two years before Kiss. Apparently Paul is saying, like, I can't go on record about any of that, but let's just say it's pretty uncanny. So Interesting. um, uh, My exposure to Phantom of the Paradise was the music way before the actual film. And, by the way, uh, the helmet that the Phantom, after by by Bill Finley, he gets his head smashed in a record press. It's it's convoluted. But uh, he has to wear this bird-like helmet, and I guess Daft Punk, the guys in Daft Punk who are... Parisian, it, the only place this movie did well was Winnipeg and Paris. Yep. And Winnipeg has done so well that there's a documentary coming out about it, Phantom of Winnipeg. But in Paris, the guys from Daft Punk said that they'd seen it at least 25 times. They, they met they, at they, a screening. They, they did? Yeah. Well, they modeled their helmets on the Phantom's helmet. And there's a, such a cult around this film that it's it's like the cult the you think that Rocky Horror is a cult film and then you discover Phantom of the Paradise you're like, "Oh my goodness, I didn't even I don't know what I was talking about." Here's my other Phantom of the Paradise personal story, which is that a year later was my first trip abroad. Um I'm in Paris. All I care about, all I talk about at that point is Phantom of the Paradise. I go to a record store and I see a vinyl copy a fan of the Phantom of the Paradise. Meanwhile, where I am, there's no shot of me ever getting a hold of this soundtrack, let alone a copy of the movie. Um, and it's the most coveted thing I have. I transport, I'm backpacking, you know, I'm just a, a dummy walking around Europe. I stick it in my backpack and try to preserve it as best I can. And uh, I still have it. Let's hear the hell of it. Roll on thunder, shine on lightning. The days are long and the nights are frightening. Nothing matters anyway, and that's the hell of it. Winter comes and the winds blow colder. Well, some go wiser, you just grew older. You never listened anyway, and that's the hell of it. Good for nothing, bad in bed Nobody likes you and you're better off dead Goodbye, goodbye We've all come to say goodbye, 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 goodbye Born defeated, died in vain Super destructive, you were hooked on pain And though your music lingers on All of us are glad you're gone If I could live my life half as worthlessly as you I'm convinced that I'll wind up burning too Oh, just so fantastic. Good. There's not a wasted line in that whole uh, soundtrack. And again, like uh, it's it's things are getting sort of uh, 
uh, are escalating as far as Paul Williams' appearance across the 70s. He sings the hell of it on the Brady Bunch. Mike Brady? Yes. I am Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> I mean, this is how like he says that he immersed he is to be in, in pop culture. In front of the camera at any possible he's, he's he's fully addicted to cocaine at this this point. <laughs> That's safe to say. <laughs> they they say that he would bug people so much about being on television shows that uh, for Hawaii Five O they said, okay, if you want to be on the show, then write your own script. No, it's Beretta. Is Beretta? Yep. Well, Robert Blake is on the Tonight Show, and he's like, I want to be on on Beretta. And he says, okay, well, then write your own script. And then Paul goes back and writes his own script, and they make the episode. <laughs> About cocaine, by the way. <laughs> oh, you know, write what you know. Don't be over records now. Cocaine. Well, people, don't, people don't die from cocaine. They used to write about it. I get no kick from cocaine. They didn't die then. They're dying now, partner. But it wasn't the coke that killed them. He snorted pure horse. And you know what? I don't think he knew what he was snorting. And I bet the guy that sold it to him, he didn't know what he was selling. 75 after Phantom of the Paradise, which, again, it doesn't do anything. Um, Tanks. It, and, uh, but he says, you know, by f- the thing that people talk to him about the most by far on the street is not Rainbow Connection. It's Phantom of the Paradise. Sure. So then we have Ordinary Fool, which is the last of his... Um, Only a fool. It's the last of his, like, solo albums. And I think uh, K- Karen Carpenter does Ordinary Fool. There's a lot of... Um, all of these songs are... Uh, a bunch of them are actually... Uh, Soundtrack songs. Mm-hmm. He records old souls from uh, Phantom of the Paradise on there. Ordinary Fool is actually a Bugsy Malone song. There's Ella a, Fitzgerald covers it. She does. Yep, on a on a I think a live album in '77. You got the you know Lone Star's okay. Even better than I know myself is was sort of a hit for someone. Right. I forget who. Maybe the Carpenters again. So Alan Parker comes to him, who is a British director who has yet to direct any kind of actual movie himself, and he decides he wants to direct this a musical about um, gangsters in the, like the Prohibition era Chicago, but he wants it to star only little children. And Paul, he's like, well, Paul, write the music. Again, the fact that De Palma chose Paul, having none of his previous music would suggest that he could have done what he did. And then then all of a sudden, uh, this makes a little bit more sense because it's all this sort of turn kind of, of the century kind of stuff. But Bugsy Malone, it's the weirdest idea because they have all the kids uh, lip syncing the songs to, that were actually sung by adults. And jo- like a th- 12-year-old Jodie Foster's in it, 14-year-old Scott Baio or yeah. something like that. It's and a very strange Parker film. and Williams both say, like, that's their sort of one regret about The kids movie. should have it's, sung the The songs. kids should have sung the songs. But it's clear, I mean, again, uh, uh, you know, th- this preceded me, but I can certainly see how kids would love this in 1976. Yeah. Kids being gangsters, they shoot machine guns and pies come out of them. I mean, it's probably it's like just a, a total rascal. joy. There's a, there's a little rascals vibe, you know. Grease, Grease is sort of being made kind of soon, but a um, year later. But it doesn't. It, but there's this overlay of Englishness to it because it was all filmed, I think, in London. I think right. close to where Star Wars was being filmed. Right. And uh, again, it does well in England. And Alan Parker, by the way, went on to direct The Wall, Pink Floyd's yeah. The Wall. And it does well in England, but kind of no one else knows what the hell to make of it. No, because once again, it's a 
total oddball. I mean, every step of this guy's career, th- these things shouldn't exist, well, quote unquote. At this point, it just feels like cocaine is the real the <laughs> author of a lot of these things. But it's a it's a fun movie to watch. Yep. It feels like a stunt more than a film, I right. think. Um, but in uh, English school children started performing it, and it took on a second life as like a play that kids in England would produce. And Edgar Wright, the guy who directed Shaun of the Dead, and um, Scott Pilgrim, the, the, and uh, even um, Baby, Driver. Baby Driver, which he cast Williams in, yeah. it was his first ever show business was doing Bugsy Malone. Yeah, it's clear that, especially with, with Phantom, uh, The Muppets, and... Um Bugsy Malone, that he's influencing a generation to come and, and therefore sort of uh, uh, immortalizing himself. <laughs> In a very okay. strange way. You know, I, I mean, not not strategically, but it just happens that way. I mean, so do you, what do you, where do you want to take us from uh, Bugsy Malone? Because there's a few very interesting... Close a star is born, my friend. Now he thinks Streisand, Barbara Streisand calls him up and says she wants uh, one song for... Uh, a star is born and he's so coked out that he thinks she w- says that he's supposed to write all of the songs so he shows up with like six songs yeah, well, he shows up with the script and and yeah and the song bookmark Hel- Hellacious Acres is a great song well let's play it okay look who's advertising billboards everywhere see Hellacious Acres It's all. It's, it's actually better than you realize. The song "Watch Closely" now is a great song too. Hellacious Acres is kind of a warm up for some of the Emmett Otter stuff that that comes next. But totally. I gotta say that um, they're the vocals. The uh, uh, 1976's Bradley Cooper is a man named Chris Christopherson. <laughs> um, they wanted Elvis. Thought it could be a good uh, revival for him. Um, Colonel Tom Parker just wanted too much money and just oh, that would have been so shot great. it down. Next, yeah. they wanted Neil Diamond. So Christopherson comes in in third in in this placement. Um, but uh, Christopherson kind of channels some Neil Diamond action in, mm. in in these songs. But I don't know who's who's more seventies, Paul Williams or Chris Christopherson. But that pairing is pretty pretty darn awesome. Well, they also. Have- Williams writes a song with Barbara Streisand, Evergreen, which is not, I think, it's, by the way, kind of lesser Paul Williams. I agree. He wins an Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. For, in the middle of this fever dream of Paul Williams in the late 70s, he wins an Oscar for Evergreen. I was going to thank all the little people. and <laughs> Then I remembered I am the little people. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Jim Henson... Uh, who I think I think uh, Williams has been a guest star on the Muppet Show at this point, and Jim Henson likes him, and he's, he he gives him the gig writing uh, the songs for Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which was sort of a HBO. It, it was their attempt at a real holiday special, and uh, it turns out it was kind of an audition for the Muppet movie mm. uh, gig. But uh, Paul Williams writes that, 
and there's some amazing stuff in there. Uh, I mean, there's a really, really sweet song called When the River Meets the Sea, but there's also um, a song called, uh, the, they have the, the river, um, what's it called? The River uh, River Bottom Nightmare Band is kind of an Alice Which Cooper-esque to me, and also band. Hellacious Acres-esque. We take what we want, we do anything that we wish. There's a great song called Brothers Barbecue. It's it's all good stuff. It's not it's not as fully developed as some of his other things. But I love Ain't No watch. Hole in the Washtub. Oh, that's Ain't great. Ain't No Hole in the Washtub. And uh, uh, Grandma's um, uh, the bathing suit that Grandma wore, Otter wore, was is fantastic. It's all it's one long joke. As, as a lot of these Muppet songs were, they were just one long pun, which <laughs> I think is great. But he likes uh, Henson so much, and Henson likes him. He feels like he is an honorary Muppet. Mm. And so Henson gives him the gig writing the Muppet movie, and he's he, he, he's he's very worried about it because this is Jim's big break, and he's been building towards this. And he thinks, uh, you know, uh, Jim, I'll, I'll workshop these songs with you. We'll make sure we, we get them everywhere where you want to go. And he's like, oh, that's okay. I'll just hear them in the studio. And like uh, that, kind of apparently that just blew Paul Williams away. He wow. and Kenny Asher went off and wrote these songs. And of course, among these songs is probably his what would be considered his most immortal um, tune, and that is uh, "Rainbow Connection." Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it. I know. dreamers and me so by 1979 when the muppet movie comes out we are at peak paul williams saturation yeah 1977 (laughs) he wrote the love boat theme which he says puts his puts his kids through college oh really yeah and he also appears in uh smoking the bandit that uh 77 is the biggest movie up until Star Wars, Smokey and the Bandit. I have no idea. Which, if there's anybody more 70s than uh, Christopherson, Paul Williams, um, and anybody else we've talked about, it's Burt Reynolds. <laughs> um, he sees, you know, also a Tonight Show regular. He, uh, he knows the pairing of Paul Williams and Pat McCormick, um, a regular writer on the Tonight Show, and is like, I got to put these two guys together on the, let's call it unscripted movie, Smokey and the Bandit, which is nothing but, but uh, good times and, and, and car racing uh, with Jerry Reed. Now get the Texarkana and back. 
28 hours. That's no problem. It ain't never been done before, hot shit. Watch your language, little lady. The problem is that Coors beer, you take that east of Texas, and that's, uh, that's bootlegging. You know, I believe you're just a little bit scared. That's great psychology. Why don't you just say something bad about my mother? Your mama is so uh, look, ugly. Look, look, you make this run for me. Now, these Peterbilts here are worth $80,000. That comes to about three grand an hour if you make it 28 hours. How about that for a challenge? Dad, I don't believe that that's necessary. Never mind. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why do you want that beer so bad? Because he's thirsty, dummy. It's a sensation. It's huge. And so, once again, uh, Paul Williams is everywhere, but he's also has been on Hawaii Five O, Match Game, Hollywood Squares, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, uh, The Hardy Boys, The Fall Guy, The Flip Wilson Special, and The Gong Show. He's everywhere. He says he just wants to be everywhere. And, uh, you know, he, he records his last solo album for a long time. Actually, that's not true. He records an album called A Little on the Windy Side, which I think is a pretty ter- <laughs> terrible name, album for an album. But it has one classic song on there called uh, Another Fine Mess. Here's Another Fine Mess, which Glenn Campbell, who we've talked about, records yeah. for a movie soundtrack. And it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Here's another fine mess I stumbled into Sorry stayed as I've ever been to I'm a fighter but they got me on the floor Don't believe I'm gonna take this anymore Wave goodbye Don't try to talk, what's there to say? The words are unimportant, it's a feeling we'll remember anyway doing these soundtracks and he's but he continues to write all this great music and yeah and as you said it's the 80s is the decade that he forgot just because all he's doing is focusing on calling his dealer and uh getting it, high the one thing he's happy about is he writes this the intentionally bad songs for ishtar oh. which was an unintentionally really bad film or at 1987 least one of the biggest flops quote unquote of all time soundtrack I go, never I, comes I, out i've never heard these songs You've never heard these songs? No, but he's, he's very proud of I will of go them. on record saying that the first 45 minutes of Ishtar is hilarious. Really? And a, a lot of it has to do with the, uh, the songwriting of Paul Williams. He has to write bad songs because Ishtar is about two horrible songwriters um, who end up getting ensnared in a CIA plot. And once it goes to uh, Morocco, the movie goes south. It's directed by Elaine May. There's a whole great dramatic story of behind the scenes of why Ishtar is the flop that it is. Um, but it's Williams involved in another strange flop. Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Why? 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 Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Because if yourself, because you if don't you know t- why. Huh? Well, I'm just giving you with the ideas. Telling the truth can be dangerous business. If you don't know yourself, then you don't know why. Oh, is that brilliant? Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Honest and popular don't go hand in hand. You can play the accordion. No one will hire you in our rock and roll band. <laughs> but we can, can sing, sing our hearts sing out. Our 
I, I, I just I, I just find him wonderful. Well, then he the, he says the first song he writes sober is a song called "You're Gone," which is one of my uh, again one of my favorite songs. Diamond Rio has a big hit with it, a country wow. song, and I think it's absolutely heart wrenchingly beautiful. And but this first big gig he gets once he's sober again, he gets sober and he gets sober basically on Ishtar. It's such a, um, a horrible experience for all involved in such an extreme uh, uh, situation. Um, he, he he almost like kills he, not intentionally he falls and hits his head and has a serious wound as a result of his experience on Ishtar and, and that's pretty much it he, he finally gets I mean, over and, he, he's, and then but he he kind of credits sort of his real awakening he talks about his 1990 but his first the first time anyone's willing to really hand over him over the reins is he does he writes the entirety of uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol which is the first Muppet movie without Jim Henson it's directed by Brian Henson and and the music is fabulous. It's a different style, but it's become something of a, of a of a Christmas classic. At least it is in my house, and I think he he nails pretty much every song on that. That's awesome. Um, and then he's got a solo record in 1997, which is surprisingly good. Though it's really he's three it's three remakes of like you know I won't last a day without you and rainy hmm. days and Mondays and just an old fashioned love song. Why on earth we need more? versions of those but then this new stuff is pretty good on there huh. it's, it's all about recovery at this point sure um and then it's sort of a dry run i think for daft punk yeah i mean um as we said this sort of it's it's the changing of the guard generationally and um the people who grew up on him are now making stuff um, uh, that includes Edgar Wright, um, but it also includes Daft Punk, who reach out to him in uh, uh, 2013 um, to do Touch. Touch. I remember Touch. Pictures came with Touch. A painter in my mind. Tell me what you see. A tourist in a dream. A visitor, it seems, a half-forgotten song. Where do I belong? Tell me what you see. I need something more. Kiss suddenly alive, happiness arrive. Hunger like a storm, how do I begin? A room within a room, a door behind a door. Touch, where do you lead? I need something more. Tell me what you see, I need something more. Knowing, you know, the backstory on Daft Punk and, and how they got together, this is the character Swan in the void coming back to life um, really? I'm it's so sure of it um, I think uh, there's an interview out there where Edgar Wright sort of asks Paul Williams that point blank and and Paul does the beautiful dance that he does of, of just spinning a yarn and and not answering directly but but this is about that character you know he he in midway through he also writes a um, an entire musical 
based on happy days, <laughs> which kind of makes sense because it's seventies, fifties. Yeah. Right. And, uh, it, it does, it kind of stiffs. It doesn't do that well, but it's still, I think it, I'm listening rotation. to most of it. It's, it's okay. It's not, it's not great, but right now he, he did the songs for the book of life, which is a Guillermo del Toro. My thing. kids love that movie. And, uh, right now he's working on a musical for, of Pan's Labyrinth. His journey is just so incredibly rich and remarkable and into so many twists and turns and not where you think it's going to go. And it encompasses is all the seven the, the 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 kind of what was some would say like the lowest common denominator uh uh 70s um television to uh you know almost a rat pack hollywood crew in the 70s and tonight show stuff to the, the culty of the cultish to these really sad and sincere songs and then like all this kids stuff it's just i mean it's a it's it's a a, a gorgeous career of of a, a full-fledged um uh, uh worthy entertainer yeah you know he is hilarious he is so agile in front of a microphone and and people value his his presence and he has a lot to offer i mean uh, he talks about uh still alive as the title of that doc about his life as being like oh god like people know i'm still alive which is true plenty of people know who paul williams is um i think the point of that title which i think is apt um still alive is Hmm. he should have died he went through some crazy stuff stuff that would crush so many other people we've seen people die as a result of that level of fame and drug abuse and he's still here and not only is he still here he's like he's a valuable part of our world i would say yeah he's a treasure and you know he wrote this book called gratitude and trust and that's what he's all about today and he's not pretentious in the way that he sort of talks about his spirituality i think or his 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 recovery it's it's what he's passionate about um and yet he's also um he keeps talking. He always talks about his ego. If you ever listen to him talk, he mm. talks about having just this huge ego when he was this little man and everything was about him, 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 him. And, um, it seems like he's kind of got this second life almost where he's ego less. Anyway, I love the man. If you can listen to an interview with him, you'll be charmed. And he's a raconteur like for the ages, but what's for your, sure. what's your top five here, Lex? Oh man, this is going to be hard. I, 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 I've got, I really I've got couldn't a, nail it down. I'm going to do a top five of, him singing and then a top five of soundtrack slash uh other people singing. okay you go first because then i'll fill in fill in any gaps yeah okay this is top five of just his voice and or his versions of it and my is uh won't last a day without you it's my favorite of his codependent anthems (laughs) that's what friends are for that who you i love it uh the song you're gone which is this first song he wrote sober which i think is just beautiful yep uh, Waking Up Alone, first song off of uh, Old Fashioned Love Song. And his song, Still Alive, the the one that he oh, writes yeah. for the movie in 2011, which is sort of him talking about his entire life and, and sort of what what happened to him and his sort of death and rebirth almost. And, and uh, it's, it, it kind of references uh, dream, the Dreamers from uh, Rainbow Connection. And it's a great, yeah. great song. You can tell he's not as prolific as he is. So when he does it, he counts. But, the, but as uh, sung by other people, the Out in the Country, Three Dog Night version, uh, Another Fine Mess, sung by Glenn Campbell, Family of Man, sung by Glenn Campbell. Sorry, sorry sung by Three Dog Night. Goodbye, Eddie, Goodbye from Phantom of the Paradise, sung by the Juicy Fruits, and uh, lastly, um, Can You Picture That from the Muppet movie, which is sung by the Electric Mayhem, Dr. Teeth. So good. I love that scene. 
Let me I take actually, your picture. Add it to the mixture. There it is. I got you now. I have to say, this Ooh, isn't on my it. list. Anyone can do it. It's easy and we both know how. Moving Right Along is my favorite song from, from that movie. Oh. I just love that scene so much. Fozzie and Kermit. The song is so catchy. It's Perfect. not on my list, but okay. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, okay. So I'm going to do... I'm going to do more than five, but here we go. To put up with you, um, I actually like the Holy Mackerel version. Uh, My Love and I off Old Fashioned Love Song. Um, That's a new one to me Mm -hmm. from from this research, but I I really like it. Um, That's Enough for Me might be one of my favorite Paul Williams songs. Um, Rose, which we played is phenomenal also kind of a discovery this go around i had all those albums on vinyl but um i I just don't know that i always like played them all all the way through uh phantom's theme the hell of it oh so good perfect um and then this little ditty flash off ordinary fool is just hilarious and it's such it's so indicative of of his skill in writing those little ragtime boppers you know I think we've, that's a, like an incredible list. That's a good I can't list. wait to. Li- I will listen to that playlist over and over again. I don't know what to send us out on. Let's let's send us out on "Still Alive," the cover version. You got it. I don't know you in those clothes. I don't know you with that hair. Two-dimensional reflection, unforgiving, unaware. Part-time dreamer. Thought that fame could outrun fear Something clearly terrified you Did you choose to disappear? Guess again 